0: So if you've got your Bible, grab it and turn to Acts chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the ends of the rows. Grab that. That's where we'll be starting in our consideration of the gospel of Jesus Christ today. Very, very excited to be doing this. What a pleasure. What a privilege to get to do this here in our city. We're in a series in the book of Acts, which recounts the first 30 years of the Jesus movement after Jesus' death. And resurrection. Uh, what happened next? So we've been asking that question. We've been looking at that the last few weeks, and today we'll be in Acts chapter four. Um, how many of you know of a historical figure named William Tyndale? Does anybody know William Tyndale? Okay, we've got two. This is good. And, and one of the things that we're trying to do in the series of Acts, because it talks about the first thirty years of church history, but we're also trying to to, to bring in historical records and accounts of other Christians throughout the years who portray something of the same patterns that we see in the book of Acts. So William Tyndale uh, was living in the 16th century during the time of the Reformation when the church was, uh, the Jesus movement was undergoing significant transformation and change. It was very hostile and William Tyndale's life goal was to take the Bible which to that point had only been translated into Latin how many of you know Latin? <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> okay. Into Latin, meaning that only, only those who knew Latin, which was, uh, were the scholars and the scribes uh, and the priests of the day, were able to read and therefore interpret the Bible. And, and, and he said, along with others, oh, that's just not right. So he's living in England, and he wanted to translate the Bible into English. So if you've ever read any of the Bible and you don't know Latin, you owe some of that joy to William Tyndale Uh, he was so upset because he would look at the clergy of his day and he thought they being the only ones that knew latin should be much more biblically literate than they actually were he actually said this to one clergyman he said if God spares my life before too many years pass I will make it possible for a boy behind the plow to know more scripture than you do he was passionate but a farm boy could know and encounter the Word of God by himself, not needing a human mediator, needing only Jesus, the Spirit, and the Scriptures. So here's a man full of the Spirit of God, a passion for the Gospel. He wrote this, Evangelion, which we call the Gospel, is a Greek word signifying good, merry, glad, and joyful news that makes man's heart glad and makes him sing and dance and leap for joy. He wrote that in 1525. This was a man filled with love for God, filled with the passion of Christ. He had a joyful gladness towards his fellow man, and he wanted to help them encounter Jesus. And he did succeed. And he brought the word of God to the common folk, translating for the first time ever the Bible into English. It's almost hard uh, for us to fathom that the average man could not pick up a Bible because they're all over. But he brought it to the common men and women of his country. And what was his reward for this good deed done to his fellow man? Well, in 1535, he was arrested. And 17 months later, by men who were supposedly the head of the church, he was burned alive at the stake. Why? God, why? Why do you allow this? Why do those who do good often face persecution from the world, even from their brothers supposed in Christ? Last week we looked at how God witnesses to the reality of Jesus, the reality of the living presence of Jesus in the world through miraculous healing, We think he still does that at times today. He takes things that are broken, and he restores them and makes them new. This week, we look how that same God, that same plan, includes persecution. It's the other side of the coin. He heals some, and he leads others into persecution. And he does this, I think, as we'll see today, because persecution provides a backdrop a backdrop for another powerful element of witness in the people of God. The Holy Spirit will witness through people in the face of persecution by giving them boldness. Boldness. They will stick out because God will allow them to enter into suffering and persecution. Now, as we'll see in a moment, boldness is always relative to the person, right? So don't think boldness looks like me or boldness looks like Jordan or boldness looks like Allie Jones here doing announcements. Boldness will look different for each of us. And so to understand boldness, we have to look at the person acting. So today, I had you turn to Acts chapter 4, but I want you to put your finger there And we're going to need to start a little bit earlier in the story and turn back to Luke chapter 22, okay? So keep your finger in Acts chapter 4. Look back at Luke 22. Because what we're going to see is the main character of Acts chapter 4, his name's Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus. He has another chance for boldness in Luke 22. Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke, which accounts Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and he wrote the book of Acts after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And Peter is in both stories, and we're going to see something of a change in Peter. We're going to notice a significant shift in this man, and it's going to be profound. Okay, so Luke chapter 22, verse 47. And here's what I want you to just to look at and hear as we read through this together. You're going to see an almost identical situation. Not only Peter, but several other key players are going to be in Luke 22 that we see in Acts chapter 4. Here we go, verse 47. While he was still speaking, that's Jesus, there came a crowd, and a man called Judas, one of the 12 disciples, was leading this crowd. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, "'Lord, we will strike with the sword.' And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said, "'No, no more of this.' And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officer of the temple and the elders who had come against him, "'Have you come out against me as a robber with clubs and swords?' When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Okay? Chief priests, officers of the temple, elders. And they come out in the middle of the night and arrest Jesus. Verse 54. Then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. The wind... They had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them, one of the disciples. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval, about an hour, Still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with Jesus, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord Jesus, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went away, bitterly weeping. Verse 63, now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who struck you? And they said to one another things against him, blaspheming him. Now, when day came, this means they held him overnight. When day came, the assembly of the elders and the people gathered together, both uh, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Okay? Arrested in the evening, held overnight, brought before a council and an assembly, And as the story goes, we know that this body, this council, this assembly of the leaders of Israel, the Jewish leaders, the elite, the aristocrats of the day, led the charge that eventually leads to Jesus hanging on the cross, hanging on the cross. And we see the way Peter reacts to this situation in fear and trembling, hiding out, Denying Jesus three times. I don't know this man. Jesus who? Who is this? I'm not with him. Now back to Acts chapter 4. So important to understand that part of the story when we see this part. Because boldness is always relative to the person acting. Acts chapter 4. We talked about this last week. Right before chapter 4, we see that that Peter and John are in the temple courts and they've healed a man who has been lame for 40 years. And he he all of a sudden, miraculously, stands up and walks being fully healed in the name of Jesus. And here's what happens right after that. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Starting to see the parallels here? These powerful Jewish men who ran the city of Jerusalem, who who ran the temple system, who had all the power that were in cahoots with the Roman government who ruled the land, they don't like Peter and John preaching and healing doing miracles in the name of Jesus, claiming that Jesus had risen from the dead. They don't like this. They put him in jail, lock him up. Verse 4, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Now this is sort of Luke's just, he just inserts this little comment. He's like, so they put him in jail overnight, but guess what happens? people still come to faith in Jesus. You can lock up the instruments, but you can't lock up the gospel. That's how it always works. You can kill them, throw them in jail, persecute them, but the gospel just keeps going. In fact, as we'll see later, it almost grows in energy when persecution happens. Verse five. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, all Of who were in the high priestly family. These are the same characters. Caiaphas was the high priest, the most powerful person in the Jewish system when Jesus was crucified. Caiaphas is there. Annas, his father, who had been the high priest before him, was there. Imagine what it would have been like for Peter. He'd seen this before, right? He'd been in the same place with the same rulers holding the same kind of counsel when King Jesus eventually was led to the slaughter. Could you imagine how terrifying that would be? I know how this story goes. Peter's imagining. I know how this story goes. The memories are rushing back. This is the exact same situation that happened one month earlier. One month earlier. Verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst... They inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Did you heal the lame man? Now, this is Peter's chance. They're giving him a chance to stand down. They know that he's been preaching in the name of Jesus. It's not like they don't know this. This is them giving him a chance to stand down. You were here, you were here one month ago, you know how this goes. Stand down, Peter. Stand down. But look at what happens in verse 8. By the power of the Spirit, he stands up. He stands up. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Stand up, Peter. Who is this man? What happened? This, this is, is not the guy in Luke 22, is it? Something's changed. Stand down. And he says, I'm not only going to not stand down, I'm going to stand up. And four times he references the name of Jesus, the person of Jesus. Jesus, he says, is the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus is the man whom God raised from the dead. Jesus is the man who makes lame men walk. Jesus is the new cornerstone of a new spiritual temple and a new people. Jesus is the only name. The only person through whom salvation can occur. Stand up, Peter. And he does. And he says to them, you come against me. You come against us because of a good deed done. You will be persecuted for good deeds done if you do them in the name of Jesus. I guarantee it. Who is this man? Can that be the same man who denied Jesus three times just one month ago? So look at what happens. Verse 13. Now when they, that's the rulers, the elite, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. They saw boldness. See, boldness is visible. Boldness is perceivable to the human eye and to the human ear. It doesn't always look the same, but we can see it. That's why it's such a great witness. The world can see it. The world can see boldness. And it garners attention. They can't help it. They can't deny it. Now, the results may be different, When the world sees boldness they can do one of two things. They can persecute it. They can try to beat it down and and make it go away. Or they can turn and believe that that boldness comes from the living Jesus in his people through the power of the Spirit. We see both happen in the book of Acts. But it cannot be denied. It's perceivable. So what is boldness? What is boldness? Well. If you look up the Greek word for boldness, what you're going to see in a Greek dictionary is this. Boldness is a form of speech that conceals nothing. It overlooks nothing, enjoys confidence over and against one's critics. It's an unusual frankness, it's candor, it's openness, it's freeness, it's plainness, it's fearlessness. That, that's the word used here for boldness. And it's particularly in the context of conflict. So boldness comes out in conflict. And boldness is undeniable. You have to do something with it. Look again with me at verse 13, because this is a really important aspect. When they saw them and they saw this boldness, they go, these guys... They're clearly uneducated, and they're clearly common folk. They were fishermen. And uh, th- this only magnifies the boldness, right? Because I think sometimes in life we say, well, many, many of you know Tyler Tate, right? It's the Tyler, Tyler Tate effect. Tyler Tate was a part of our church. He's a pediatrician, a bioethicist. Uh, he's a smart dude. If you, if you know Tyler, he's a smart dude, and he's uh, been up here and boldly proclaimed Uh, his faith for Jesus Christ, Uh, and we hear Tyler talk, and we say, well, now that guy can really talk, and we say, he's very educated. That guy's got more degrees than than I know what to do with, and we say, like, he can do it, but I'm just a common man. I'm just an uneducated person. I, I could never do what he does, and for all the boldness that Tyler Tate has shown to us in our midst, Imagine if someone had that same courage, that same boldness, but was uneducated, was common. That would be even more astonishing. It might not look exactly the same, but it would be just as great of a witness. That's, that's really a challenge to those of us who have said, because I, I used to do this all the time, well, I'm not, I'm not one of the elite. Uh, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. We'll, we'll leave the witnessing to those people. Well, this goes to show that it's actually because they were uneducated and because they were common that the boldness stuck out even more. Okay? This is so important to grasp because boldness is always, as we've said, relative to the person acting. Okay? Um, So you have to ask yourself, what would boldness look like for me? And it's not the same. Boldness is not loudness, okay? Boldness is not craziness. Although some people are loud and some people are crazy, boldness is boldness. So some of us speak in all caps all the time, right? Like you just know people that speak in all caps all the time. (laughs) I got Kurt in the back here. He's smiling because his wife, all caps all the time, right? Some people, though, speak in cursive. Some people speak in calligraphy. You can go online. I I do a little bit. As a church planter, you do all sorts of stuff. I do a little graphic design on the side. You can get tens of thousands of fonts online. Each and every one of us has our own font, our own style of writing. But you know what each and every one of us can do? We can highlight that and control B and make it bold. It won't look the same for each and every one of us because we've all got our own font, we've all got our own style, but we can all make it bold by the power of the living God moving in us and through us by His Spirit. So we've all got a bold, and we've got to figure out what that bold is. Can I get a witness? Amen. And I'd actually like to call a witness right here who's going to tell us a story of boldness in their life. So, Steph, would you come on up? Stephanie Murray's coming up here, and she is going to witness to us about a time in her life with her unique font and style. I would, I would, I mean, I think it's safe to say you don't speak in all caps all the time. So I want you to witness to us and just tell us a story when the Spirit of God made you bold.
1: Hey, so, wow, this makes me really loud. Um, uh, my heart has been racing, though whole time since Dave uh, has the beginning of this morning thinking about coming up here because I do not speak in all caps and um, so this is a little bit um, out of my comfort zone but Dave asked me to do this and I was at first I was like no I don't know I can't think of anything of a time where I've been bold and um, I was thinking about it a little bit and then a story came to mind Um, and it starts out two years ago when I was living in a little town called Rough and Ready, California and I was going to a church there, and um, I had tried to get connected, and I just, it was, I was having a really hard time getting connected, and I'd gone to other churches, and I was like, okay, there are people my age here, like, I think I can connect more, Um, but the churches were kind of far away, and it was just unrealistic, and I felt the Lord saying, I was like, I want you to grow right where I have you, right in rough and ready California, and I was like, okay, I don't know what that means, but I'll try, um, so I had been part of a, a missions team that went down to uh, Mexico, and I'd been about three or four times. And one year, this, um, when I had started to get more plugged in again, they asked me, they're like, okay, this year we want you to be the leader. And I was like, okay. Um, I, I knew that I loved Mexico, and I loved the people down there, and I was really excited about going down again, but to be the main leader, I was like, ah, I don't know, this is my thing. Um, there were going to be about 25 youth, three pastors were going down. I was like, how am I going to get them to agree on anything um, and listen to me? <laughs> and like five other parents and adults, and I was like, this is just way out of my comfort zone. So a lot of fear rose up inside of me as I was thinking about this, uh, and, uh, and I was just constantly, um, it took... I don't know if it took me a while to say yes. I kind of knew in my heart that I was going to do it just because of the passion that God had given me for these people. So I said yes, um, but that didn't make the fear go away. I, I don't have a very commanding presence, and I'm like, well, these are going to be all high schoolers. I don't know if they're going to listen to me. But it was really cool. I think it just makes Jesus shine even more, like Dave was saying, because I knew that it wasn't me and it was the Lord Uh, When I said yes to it, I was constantly on my knees praying, and as I was going through the scriptures, um, God brought a verse to mind that was my prayer through the whole time, and it's Hebrews 13, 20, and 21, and it says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus, every good thing that is pleasing to him. Uh, all glory to him forever. Amen. And I started leading the team. Um, I had meetings, and every night my armpits were so sweaty as I went in there. And I'm like, okay, now I hope that I say something that will be meaningful to them, and we can get our team um, Like that we can cross the border and there no one, you know, we can all make it there and back and that Jesus will work. And even before the trip, even before we went to Mexico, God started moving and working. There was one gal um, who, she's like, I don't think I want to go. I just, my money is not coming in. And I got a chance to pray with her and she got all the money that she needed to come in. And then there was another gal that I talked to. She's like, I don't, I'm just still discovering who Jesus is and I want to learn more about him and I was like that's awesome like let's explore this together and we went on the trip and it was amazing and our team was unified and God moved and worked and it was just such a beautiful thing and we had another team member who accepted the Lord and we just got to see God move and work in such incredible ways and it was it was I it's hard to describe just how amazing it was, and that experience of knowing, like, oh my gosh, I can see God moving and working in so many ways. And I just got to step into it because I had said yes. Um, yeah, so I, I guess I'd just like to end with the end of that verse that I read that says, All glory to him forever and ever. Amen.
0: Thanks, Steph. That's a witness. She did something that she didn't think she could do because of her font style, but with the power of God, she was bold. And I guarantee you, those people that knew Steph the best, if they had seen her on that trip, they would have said, that's not Steph, that's somebody else. (laughs) What is she doing? Where, Where does that come from? And if they asked her, you know what she'd say, it's the Spirit of God has filled me to take me to the place that matches the task at hand. And that's always the way it works. That's why God will draw us out of our comfort zone, put us in challenging situations so that people can see that with the Spirit of God, we're not the same person. Because that's what's happening here. People are looking at Peter and saying, that's Peter, but that's not Peter. It's like he's a new man like he's a new man look at verse 14 this is what he says but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them they had nothing to say in opposition so so here's here's the image Peter and John are standing there being bold and this man who has been healed the lame man has come with them now we don't know if he was also thrown in jail for being healed what a terrible thing you're healed go to jail. We don't like healed people in this city. And, uh, but he's standing there with them, and they're looking. And whether it's Peter and John, or what it's the man who could not walk that can now walk, they're looking at these men, and they can't say anything. They're speechless, these rulers, because it's very hard to argue with a changed life. When people see a new person, it's going to be hard to argue with the words that are coming out of your mouth. Look at verse 15. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. So here's what happens. They say, "Uh, you guys go back over there. We need to figure out a plan because we can't even argue with this boldness that we've seen with these changed lives. And they they gathered together, verse 16, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more in this name, in the name of Jesus. So they called them back into the room and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. This is a pretty common response to boldness or any act of the Spirit of God in the world. It freaks people out, particularly those in power, when they see spirit-filled boldness, and what they're going to ask you to do is not very clever. They're just going to say, could you please stop that? It's not re- You're not really fighting fair here. And they'll always follow it with some threats. Now don't you, don't you forget what happened to Jesus. That, that'll happen to you if you keep this up. If you keep this up. Now look at the response of Peter and John. Verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must decide. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I love this here. They use the double negative. And some people say, don't speak in double negatives. The double negative is very important. In the Greek it says, we cannot not. They're saying, we, 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 it's not that we can speak, it's like we cannot not speak. Because, what do they say? God's asked us to speak. You have to judge for yourself, they say, whether you listen to God or you listen to man. But for us, we cannot not speak. We know what God has done. We know what we have seen and what we have heard. We can do no other but preach and heal and teach in the name of Jesus. We're compelled. And that's such a great question for each and every one of us that I think we struggle with. Who will we fear? The world and man or God? We all have a choice. Who will we listen to? There's a man named Martin Luther. He is not solely, but pretty importantly, responsible for the beginning of what's known as the Protestant Reformation. In the early 1500s, as a young man, he became a Roman Catholic monk he was living, living in Germany at the time. And he was a devout Roman Catholic monk. And he read his Bible. And he studied the Scriptures. And he spent tens of thousands of hours with Jesus through the Word of God. He spent much time with Jesus, just like Peter and John. And as he read the Scriptures for himself, he became convinced that the powers that be, the Roman Catholic upper management was gravely erroring in their understanding and interpretation of the Scriptures. So much so that the doctrine had become whack and practices had become whack. That's a theological term. And so finally he said, I can't take it anymore. This cannot be right. The thing that pushed him over the edge is that uh, they would send uh, these traveling itinerant priests around who would tell people... If you buy what's known as an indulgence, you can get forgiveness of sin for yourself and you can actually rescue your loved ones from purgatory. Meaning if you pay the church a little bit of money, we'll forgive your sins. And we'll even forgive those who have already died. And he's like, I don't see that in the text. And the people didn't know because remember what I said. The Bible was in Latin. And if you didn't know Latin, you couldn't see that. So you just took the word of the higher ups. And Martin Luther said, There's there's no way this is right. He said, When I read Scripture, I see that it's by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. It's not working your way to heaven. It's not working to pay off your sins. It's not buying your way out of purgatory. It's by faith alone in Jesus Christ, who died once and for all for our sins, that we are saved by grace. And he, he was so convicted of this that in 1517, which we just celebrated the 500-year anniversary of uh, last October, on October 31st, 1517, he nailed 95 theses on the door of the castle church. And this was a practice of the day. If you, if you had any disagreements you could, you could nail them on the door. Now he had 95 things that he disagreed with and he nailed them on the church door. Believe it or not, the higher-ups didn't appreciate the criticism and for the next three years, he began a war of words uh, with the Pope, with the higher-ups in the Roman Catholic Church and he would spread pamphlets around explaining all the errors and the abuses of the church until it reached a boiling point. In 1520, where the emperor of the Roman Empire, because at that time, the political and the ecclesiological, the church world were were kind of together. And the emperor, Charles V, seized Luther, brought him before the highest council in the land in a town called Worms into an assembly, which they called back then a diet. And I just love this because it's so ironic. So this is famously known as the Diet of Worms, <laughs> which, and we'll see what Martin Luther did, it's one of the most famous moments in church history. At the Diet of Worms, the assembly of the church and political leaders of the day, they brought Luther before the court, encircled him, <laughs> and he's standing there in the middle, and he says, and they say, defend your writings. And he defends them from the scriptures. He says, this is what the word of God says. And they argue And then they say, no, you need to stop, and they demand him to recant, to take back everything that he said, to turn from what he has been teaching, and here's how Luther responded. He said this, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I will not recant anything, for to go against my conscience, spirit-filled conscience, is neither honest nor safe. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. Well, guess what happens next? The council's speechless. Clearly, the power of the Roman Catholic Empire was not enough compared to the Spirit of God in this man. And so they're speechless, and they let him go, actually, and give him about a 24-day head start, and then they say, and we must arrest him, and then they send him after, right, because they can't in the moment, they know, they just like, it feels like we go against God here, so they give him a 24-day head start, he ends up getting to a sympathizing noble who lets him uh, live in his castle and protects him from the powers that be, and he continues to boldly write and speak against the heirs of the, the Roman Catholic Church at the time the injustices, and he fuels the Protestant Reformation. We stand here today and we teach the Bible in English because in this moment, the man, Martin Luther, was filled with the Spirit and he stood up in boldness and said, if you take my life, take it, but I can't go against my Spirit-filled conscience that says this is what God says. Now, Martin Luther was a man of considerable education, considerable uh, intellect, considerable title, considerable station in life, considerable opportunity, who after spending a considerable time with Jesus through the Scriptures, was filled with the Holy Spirit to become the bold spark that saved the Jesus movement from being run into the ground by corruption of a powerful few. And he gave it back. The common men and women. He says that's where the Jesus movement belongs, with the common men and women of Jesus' church. Again, this is relative boldness, right? Because Martin Luther has a particular personality, he has a particular gifting, he has a particular position in society, and he has a particular position in history. So we're not all going to stand before a diet of worms and <laughs> need to be bold. This is one man for one specific moment. But we'll each have our own moments. Will we be ready to stand up? What will boldness look like for us? If you're taking notes, write down right now what pops into your mind when you hear boldness for me might be this. Write it down. Sometimes we can anticipate. I bet Luther knew there would come a time when he's going to have to stand before the powers that be. Sometimes we don't know and it just comes upon us and so we must be ready at all times and in all seasons to give record of the account of Jesus Christ and the power that is in us by His Holy Spirit. This is always how the true mission of Jesus moves forward in the world. It's God's plan A. It's not plan B. Plan A is includes persecution so read with me now back in chapter 4 of acts starting in verse 23 when they were released what did they do they went and and hid whoa no, no no not exactly when they were released they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them and when they had heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David said this, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Why did the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed? Insert Jesus. Here's what he's saying. This is always how it happens. The people of the world, the powers that be, always wage war against God and his chosen one, who now we know as King Jesus. They're saying, this always happens. And what are they doing? They're preaching again. <laughs> They're preaching again. They, they leave and immediately they start preaching again. And actually, now they have a great opening line to their sermon. Here's what the chief priest said, and then here's what happened, because we were filled with the Spirit it actually provides the firewood to keep the fire going. That's what persecution does. Verse 27, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, the king of the Jews, and Pontius Pilate, the governor of the Romans, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. They all gathered together to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now this is so important. Here's what Peter's saying. God's actually the one that planned that persecution. God's actually the one that sent Jesus to die. Yes, the peoples participated with the plan of God, but God's plan was always persecution for his son, execution for his son, that he might take upon himself the sins of the world. It was planned, it was predestined to happen by God. Verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats towards us and grant your servants escape. Nope. (laughs) Did you see that? Tricked you there. So if you're not following along, you're like, is that what it says? No, that's not what it says. They don't ask for escape. They say, In the face of their threats, grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. How many times have you prayed that? God, I'm really getting persecuted at work, or my friends are persecuting me. God, could you just help me to be more bold? Verse 30. Help us to be more bold. While you stretch out your hands to heal with signs and wonders performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They say persecution comes. We know it is because you sent persecution to your own son. We know it's coming, and when it comes, God, give us the boldness to be like Jesus. You hear the apostles talk about this all the time. It's a great joy to suffer like Jesus. We get to be like Jesus when we suffer like Jesus, when we're persecuted like Jesus. God, help me to be like Jesus when things that happen to Jesus happen to me. Give me boldness. Give me your spirit. Give me courage. Give me the words to say. And here's the pattern. Here's the pattern. If you just turn, uh, I'm not going to read through it, but if you just turn to chapter 5, you will see this pattern happen again. And the pattern in Acts goes like this. A miracle happens, perplexes the masses, perplexes the leaders, and scares the leaders. And so what they always do is they use the power that they have to persecute, often arresting, the apostles. And then what always happens is the apostles are miraculously freed and then as soon as they're miraculously freed, they use that firewood, so to speak, to go preach another even bolder sermon. And so in chapter five, what happens is they've just healed a lot of people. The rulers see again, they're like, we told them not to speak in the name of Jesus. So, that they, so they arrest them and they put them in jail overnight. And then at the dawn of the morning, miraculously, the jail cell doors fling open and the apostles escape. Now they're already in the jail cells right next to the temple court, so they don't even go home to take a shower. (laughs) They go straight into the courtyard and start preaching again, and the high priest sends the guards to get the apostles out of jail to bring them to the council, find that they're gone, look out the other window and see them preaching in the courtyard, and then they go arrest them again and bring them before and say, what are you doing? and then they're miraculously freed, and then they go preach again. And what's so interesting about this story in chapter five is that the miracle, the hinge point, which is the, the jail cell doors miraculously swinging open and them escaping is actually the miracle that is then the beginning of the next cycle of persecution, jailing, and then preaching. And so actually what you see in chapter five, you can go read it again, it's, it's just a fascinating story is that there is almost like this compounding interest effect. Compounding interest, if you know how that works, is if I invest $100 today, uh, it makes interest, and then on that interest plus the principal, uh, it it earns interest. And so if you invest young in life, the compounding interest will make, right, Cody Martinell, am I saying this right? (laughs) Is he here? He's with faith. He's our internal financial planner. It will actually build to greater and greater wealth. That's exactly how this pattern of boldness works in the book of Acts, and we see it in the the, the Reformation, is that the boldness of one begins a fire that leads to the boldness of others, even in themselves, which fuels the flame, and it just keeps spreading. And so we're a pretty young church. If we learn to live filled with the Spirit of God, Boldly now, the compounding interest of that over our lives will have an enormous effect. You start living bold now, and it just keeps cycling through. The boldness of one becomes the boldness of many, becomes the boldness of masses, and the world is changed for the glory of God, as Stephanie said. For the fame of King Jesus and for his reconciling, redeeming, refreshing work in this world. Don't we want to be a part of that? And anybody can be bold. So let's say next week, or I mean, we still got some time here. In the next few minutes, the police come in and they arrest me and they take me before the council and I'm locked up in jail. You know what? Next man or woman up, who's going to stand up here and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Probably it'll be Ryan. Ryan comes up. He'll probably get arrested. He gets arrested. He's out. Oh, no. No paid, no paid pastors to preach. What are we going to do? Oh, man, well, maybe we'll just sing songs. And Jordan's up here, and he's, he's he does that thing. And he gets arrested. Oh, my gosh, Jordan is gone who's up we got a singer we need a preacher we just keep going and it's actually i the church is going to grow i be like dave you should have got arrested years ago what what <laughs> i've been trying guys you should see me putting those sandwich signs out i'm putting them in places i'm hoping to get arrested people knock them over i put them back up i did that yesterday I knocked over put them back up again gotta be bold <laughs> who's up next man or woman up You know, that's how the gospel goes. So what's boldness going to look like in your life? What's it going to look like? Boldness is not something that few opt into and others live off of and feed off of. Boldness is something that we all do. And I'm not sure what your boldness is going to be. I'm not sure what the circumstance is going to be. You probably won't stand before a council of the most powerful people in the land facing execution. That probably won't be your story. But you might stand up in front of some hostiles and need to proclaim the name of Jesus as the only way to salvation Maybe you're asked to pray at a family reunion. Well, what do I do? Maybe you get to give a best man speech. Maybe you get to give a toast at your parents' anniversary. It could be as simple as that. Am I going to boldly proclaim that in Jesus Christ is all life, the power of eternity? I don't know what it's gonna look like for you. But there will always be these markers of boldness. If you look at verse 13 of chapter 4, you'll see this. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Boldness will always be in some way, if it's spirit-filled boldness, attached to, I, I think he's been spending some time with Jesus. I think she's been spending some time with Jesus. Jesus always gets the credit when it's spirit-filled boldness. You know, lots of times we'll do something bold in our life and somebody will ask us, well, why did you do that? And at least in my life, sometimes, you know, I don't want to rustle anybody's feathers, so I say, you know, that's just not something I really do. Or, you know what? I don't know what came over me. It was just one of those things, you know. Or, you know, that's a really, you know... Everybody kind of experiences that in those situations. Be bold. Give credit to Jesus. Give credit to Jesus. And what they'll see is in you a new creation that stands before them. They'll say, wow. I've never seen Steph do that. Wow. Is that the same Peter Is Luke 22? It will be like a new creation. And it will always be for the glorious gospel of grace. That's what will be on display if it's spirit filled boldness. If it's spirit filled boldness. If you say, Gosh, I can't do that. I can't be bold. I can't be bold. You need to remember the gospel. You need to remember that Jesus' promise is for eternal life. That's what gave me the boldness. I think you probably look at me and you say, Oh, Dave, you're always meant to stand up there and, and preach. No, 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 no. no. I have to pray for the boldness to do this every week. Because for the first 25 years of my life, I was the guy that sat in the shadows at church. I was the guy that never talked to anybody. I was the guy that just said, Let's let them do all the work, and I'll just sort of get what I need to get through the week. That was me. I never wanted to be up in the limelight until God asked me to. And I had to decide, who am I going to listen to? My fears or the voice of God? Persecution and suffering will come. Often because of the good deeds you'll do in the name of Jesus. But when it comes, pray for the Spirit of God to fill you up. So that on that occasion, the witness to the power of God living in you can be on full display. And when it does, the name of Jesus Christ will continue to be lifted up among all nations as the only way to life eternal. Let's pray. Father, we pray now, open, we open our hands, hands up facing the heavens. We pray, God, that you'd send your spirit here to be with us. Fill us up, God. Give us the boldness of Christ. Give us the fearlessness of Christ. Remind us that this life and these things that we have accumulated here are nothing compared to the eternal riches of knowing you. God, help us to know that's true. God, we believe that it's true. Help our unbelief. God, give us the words to speak when we get persecution in this life. Give us the boldness to persevere when we experience suffering and pain in this life. God, by our boldness, by our perseverance, God, may the name of your Son, Jesus, be lifted up be made holy and famous in this land. May he get all the credit. May he be the one that people speak about day in and day out. For he is the author of life. It's in his name we pray. Amen.